G'day, everybody, and welcome back to the Hard Ball Gets AFL show, driven by our friends at Mazda and the Mazda BT50 You Do Ute. Today, we've got six points to get into, but first, a reminder to get around thegame.com.au for all things AFL and waffle tipping with some huge cash prizes up for grabs. All right, let's get stuck in. It is the Hard Ball Gets AFL Show. My name's Chris Robinson. It's a long season. We're doing a little bit of load management and giving some of the veterans a rest. So Xavier Ellis, Nick Rin, you guys just take a seat on the pine today and in for this afternoon's podcast, Jackson Barrett and a debutant, Jake Colvin. How are you going, guys? Oh, thanks, that, Robbo. Uh, you, you got your facts wrong there. This is the second time I've been on. Is it really? Hardball gets. It was four years ago, so it's been a long time between <sighs> drinks. I've been out of the out of the team Welcome for a back. while, and then uh, into looks, the wilderness. Should have looked more closely into our back yeah, catalogue. What, what was the nature of it? Uh, just I, subbing in? No, nah, they just wanted a, an extra voice on, but it only lasted an episode, so potentially I didn't do that well, um, <laughs> and then got the boot. But we did it at the uh, Cambridge Bowling Club, which was quite nice. Um, okay. And uh, yeah, then I've just waited eagerly for about four years, and, and it's great to be back to see how, how the sausage is made, I guess. So a bit of a co- West Coast COVID top-up feel about this, but that would make you Braden Ainsworth coming back for another dip. So yeah, like four years of, on. Yeah, a full Olympic cycle later. Declan Mountford still in the lift at the bounce. Yeah. Sort of feel about this. Angus Stewart sort of. Yeah, no, yep. absolutely. Um, gather round coming up, everybody. How have we found the build up, the lead up? We excited. We can't wait. Crow's jersey is awesome. Yeah, FYI, that I saw that today. Um, modelled it? by Jordan Dawson. It's a fantastic. Uh, I guess it's a semi replica of what they used to wear. Maybe twenty saw that yeah sort of range early even earlier I reckon. Oh, who, earlier who do you reckon that, yeah. is the first player that comes to mind because I reckon it's Andrew McLeod for me uh, Andrew McLeod Brett Burton Rhett, yeah Brett Burton took the mark of the year in uh, that. Scott Welsh yep good Scott one Welsh great Simon answer. Goodwin another Brett Biglands the big guy uh, what are your thoughts on the Dockers stealth gather round jersey I know we might be chatting about Dockers so I don't want to get it too Dockers focused but no I really liked it. it it wasn't dissimilar to the Adelaide one really in that they've kind of it's the same stripped it all back the, the silhouette yeah. and sort then given of a bit design. of the outline GWS have got one similar I've yeah. actually copied Port's stealth training range so um, again I'm not filthy about that but I think a um, bit of trademark so, so you're a Port Adelaide fan let's just get this out yeah, into well, the open yeah 21 22 years now, so this will be my 22nd season of supporting Port Adelaide. It's been okay. long and painful, but um, yeah, I might have to touch on a few things in, in a little bit about okay. that, uh, Robbo. Well, we're looking forward to that. Should we get into our first point? And I'm going to go off the top here with a bit of a fixture gripe, uh, and I'm pretty sure Freo fans are going to come along with me for the journey, because when the Gather Round fixture came out, this was something that was just bizarre to have a look at. So obviously we're fitting nine games in in the same city, so there's going to be a bit of funkiness with the fixture. There's three games that aren't at Adelaide Oval. Freo are one of those teams who go off Broadway, fair enough. Uh, They're one of only two finals teams from last year alongside Brisbane. Okay, fair enough still. But then the Friday afternoon slot that starts at 4.40 local time, which is 5.10 Eastern, you could stick any Eastern States team into this slot and anyone on the East Coast can have a look and watch their entire team. Frio fans in WA on a normal working Friday, this game starts at 10 past three. So you've got no chance of watching your... If you 
do a normal nine to five office job, you've got no chance of watching pretty much any part of this game. So Freo absolutely tutted by this fixture. The final insult was the uh, the mythical AFL coin toss that they did overnight that yes. nobody got to see that determined who's the home team and who's not. Freer even lost that, so they don't even have their choice of the rooms and when they want to come out first. I mean, this is just about the most off-off-Broadway fixture I can remember. Norwood Oval, 3.10 WA time on a Friday afternoon. Jacko, as a Frio fan... Yeah, I'm filthy. There what are, say you? There are 16 teams in the comp that this would work for. It's bizarre, And Frio it? is not one of them. And, and I understand that you don't... The, the mitigating factor is you never look at the fixture just in a vacuum, and it's obviously set up to help next week's game which is a big Friday night showdown for Freo at yep. home against Rory Lobb, et cetera, et cetera. So but they could have been the Friday late game. Exactly, yeah. There's, But, I mean, even if you stick Freo on one of the Saturday slots and then they come home and play on the Friday, Six day break, I think that'd be fine. But for Freo to be – it's not even off-Broadway, it's off-off-Broadway. Look, I, I think the the neutral AFL supporter probably wouldn't be too disappointed considering Fremantle haven't been terrific it's to been watch a tough watch. That's right true. Yep. But we didn't know that at the time. We did not know When the fixture the came exactly out. Exactly right. We're going to have a lot of Dockers primetime fixtures coming up that are going to be a real slog to sit through because they've got Fridays and Saturday nights and they could get pummeled in a few of them. And I'm a, obviously a Freo <laughs> supporter and they could be thinking, like zooming out here, they could be some pretty tough watches. The, I want to go back to the coin toss. Um, what happens if Adelaide and Port Adelaide don't win their coin toss? Uh, isn't it isn't it funny that they both won theirs? It's it's had some people on Twitter suggesting that uh, it might not have actually been a coin toss. Yeah, knock me down with a feather. Um, the funniest thing is just clubs coming out with their unis before the coin toss, basically. Yep. So, so for Adelaide, for example, like obviously they're the home team; they're always going to get the home game. But if Carlton had won that coin toss and yeah. then gone, well, we're, we're wearing navy blue. Then you're not wearing then your you're not wearing jumper. The jumper. Because it's on. completely dark. Yeah. There's a there's a few things that don't add up here. Um, the Norwood Oval factor, and this will probably lead into your point in a second here, Jacko, about Freo and what they do. Um, skinniest ground in the AFL. Skinniest yep. ground in the Sandful. Easily the skinniest ground in the AFL. So it's 110 wide. 110 metres wide. So for context, Optus Stadium is 130 metres wide. It's the same length at 165 and 20 metres shorter when you go laterally. So we'll probably lead into Jacko's point if you want to blow the siren in a second here, Michaela. Um, does that does that help them? Does that hinder them in terms of does it force them to play a bit more direct rather than going side to side? I know you wanted to talk about the way that they move the ball. Yeah, so the ball movement and also the forward line. So obviously we know that Matt Taberner has flown home. Mm-hmm. Um, they've not they've not sent over a like for like key forward. So Sam Sturt was on the plane to fly over. Josh Draper is there. He's been training as a defender, um, tall, athletic, can ruck, um, well and truly underdone from what from what we understand, but he's he's over there. Peter Bell said last week that he was comfortable if if Draper was needed. Um, but, but he's more of a kind of Luke Ryan Luke, yeah. kind of backup guy, yeah, right? The, yeah, that. So obviously Ryan saw back. He's been training as a backman, but he, he can obviously play forward if sure. if they needed to send out an SOS. But and Sam Sturt played really really well um, for Peel on the weekend. Two goals, four marks, four tackles. So I think they're getting a little bit of the effort stuff out of Sam Sturt. But he's not a Tabiner like for like. Um, and maybe they are going a little bit more direct. You need 
that Ford that's sitting a little bit deeper. Is that Sturt? It's probably not even Tabiner. Tabiner took five marks against Adelaide, but only one of them was inside 50. How often do we see him like marking 70 out and, and having to try and get on his bike to get back? Um, so I don't know if it'll help or hinder them, but uh, it's going to be a, a new look Dockers Ford line. There's a watch on Michael Walters as well at training this week. Mm. Um, so that could be... That could be a yeah an interesting one. We spoke with Zave a couple of weeks ago about um, he spoke about Brayshaw. They ended up doing it with Switkowski with with having like a pinch hitting high half forward coming up to the contest to sort of clear things out. Is that something they look at again, particularly with the skinnier like the skinnier pockets? Um, they seem to do it in the Derby really well, but not a whole lot last week. So it is Switkowski or an O'Meara or someone settling into a role like that to try and help. But yeah, keen to get your thoughts because there's not. There's not a Josh Corbett or a Josh Tracy going over to replace Tabernacle, uh, and Sturt's a very different player, as we know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Jake, does it concern you the skinny ground and the fact that you're going to be having more contested ball, seemingly more contested marks, seemingly in the forward line? Does it concern you the lack of potential targets that Freya might have here? Uh, it actually doesn't. I think they need to change it up. Um, there's been a lot of commentary around how tall they are and, and slow. Obviously, they started, I think, round one. They had Tracy, Tabernar, Fife, mm-hmm. I yep. think, those yep. three, and then obviously Jackson, Jackson. and Darcy. Yep. Yep. There's a lot of tall timber there. Um, we go back years when Subi Oval was a thing. Subi Oval was quite skinny as well, notorious. I think it was about 122, 122. wide. Yep. So it's, it's still not as skinny as Norwood, but I think why not change it up? Because at this stage, what they're doing, they're, they're one and three, very realistically could have been 0 and 4. Everyone knows that. But I think you may as well throw caution to the wind and go, skinnier ground, let's try and you know play a little bit more through the corridor, which you're going to have to. Um, bit more speed, let's see how we go. So is it Sturt for Tabernacle and then heavy emphasis on, on Jackson and Amos? I think it has to be just yeah. about. Yeah, as you mentioned, there's no Corbett and no Tracy over there. Yeah. Um, so it kind of handcuffs them a little bit. It's interesting to see that um, from a Gold Coast point of view, it looks like Jared Witts is in doubt again. Yep. Uh, we'll see the teams when they lob tomorrow, but gives someone like Sean Darcy a really good chance to feast on Ned Moyle with the greatest respect to Ned hey, Moyle. He looked okay. No, he, did, he, did look, he, did, he did look okay, yeah. but if Sean Darcy's a, a legitimate top yep. five or six ruckman in this league, he should be giving Freer a really nice advantage at clearance, right? Yeah, you'd think so. I think Brody. Like did what he had to, go back to the waffle, absolutely dominate, come back. And, geez, they missed him last week, yep. didn't they? And, yep. and I think Brody's been a nice um, accompaniment in that midfield, but obviously hasn't hit the heights as, of last year just yet. So hopefully he, he gets back on board. And just for reference, because Freo fans might not know a lot about Corbett, really good contested mark. At Gold Coast tended to sit a little bit deeper, kicked two goals, two and five marks. Look. Looked like their best contested mark for Peel on the weekend. Couple of tackles as well. So uh, he looked promising. Um, still getting obviously settled in Perth. And how long they wait to give him a debut, I'm not sure. But he's got to be around the mark. Jake, so this floor is me, is yours, mate. Robert. Floor is mine. So look, I I thought of a topic, and this is something in in a lot of group chats that the, the debate is: who's the best player in the game right now? As it is, um, there's obviously many opinions on on who is the best, but I think quite easily from his performance against Hawthorne on the weekend um, before I get into my top five. I think Jeremy Cameron has a lot of, uh, on the top of um, a lot of people's lists. Unreal. Um, before I get into my top five, I'll go through the, the coaches' votes leaderboard as it stands um, and then I'll compare it to the list that I've uh, compiled here. So Nick Dacos is number one with 25. Marcus Bontempelli, surprisingly, that is second surprising, with 23. Yeah. Yeah, I, that is I haven't watched every Dogs game, but it kind of seems like he hasn't been that 
good this year. I haven't noticed him as much as I have in previous years. Tim Kelly has been great this season. Maybe yep. not round one, but um, the three rounds after that. Jeremy Cameron fourth and LDU uh, is tied fifth with uh, Christian Petrarca. So, so, so before you go into your list, when we're criteria here, so you're talking just through the first, first yep. four rounds of the season, yep. who has been the best player? Yep. So sure. there's a couple of players in here, which mm-hmm. you'd probably say, like, I'm going to stray straight away. Bont's not in here at the moment for me. Agreed. You might say Bont's better than a few of the players on this list, but after four rounds of criteria, who is sure. the top five uh in my opinion. Yeah, go for so it. So I've got one, Jeremy Cameron. I think that's quite obvious. His game of the weekend was terrific. A few stats for you. 18 goals, so four and a half goals a game. Almost 20 disposals, five inside 50s, seven shots at goal. Um, over eight marks um, and 436 metres gained. For a key forward yeah. who also pushes up the ground, Yeah, that's insane numbers. So I think... Rightly so, I would agree, Jeremy Cameron, and so would a lot of people, he is number one. And and also given the fact that Geelong, up until halftime on Monday, yep. hadn't been delivering the ball or moving the ball particularly well to him as well, all right? Well, imagine if he wasn't playing at the level he is at the yeah, moment, yeah. where would Geelong really be in their outlook would mm-hmm. be pretty grim. Well, they also might have been five goals down at halftime or more. Yeah. Very, very, very much so. 100%. Um, number two, and there's a lot of people you could have put number two, but I think Clary Oliver... Um, for me, um, is rightly so number two. So some stats on him, 32 and a bit disposals and 16 of them are contested. So 50, 50% of them basically are contested. Um, over seven clearances, eight tackles, over 500 metres gained, nine score involvements and uh, over six inside 50s a game. So for me, for a midfielder to do that, Clara used to be just a bit of an extractor, but now he's kind of adding a few more strings to his yeah, bow. Yeah, um, and he was really good against um, on West Coast on, on the weekend. I think he had 30-odd and, and 10 tackles. Huge so, second quarter. Uh, Melbourne just look like they're humming and he's probably the main reason I think that. it sort of started last year and, and into this year as well. He's leapt out of that um, Darcy Parish, Jack McRae, high accumulator category and learnt to be really damaging around the stoppage, um, more direct. Um, he's probably learning a little bit from Christian Petrarca maybe, but he's obviously like this contest bull. Um, but his use has his gone up and his penetration's gone up as well. So I've actually got him really close to number one. He, and he could have had that number one title. I just think with the Jeremy Cameron being a key forward yep. and averaging four and a half goals a game in 20 touches, um, it's hard to hard to compete with that. But Clary definitely top two. So number three, and again, I, I tossed uh, up who was going to be three between these next two blokes, but I've put Charlie Kernow. Um, I think he's a, he's a match winner. He's kicked 16 goals, averages six and a half marks, and three of those are inside 50 a game which is pretty great numbers for, for a key forward. And again, he doesn't always sit deep in the goal square. He works together with Harry Mackay, mm-hmm. which I don't think is the easiest thing for two young key forwards to ne- necessarily, not that they can't coexist, I think they absolutely can, but chemistry-wise, yeah. you know, you both got to have a bite at the at the cherry. So um, Charlie Kerno has been um, exceptional for Carlton this year, um, and I think he is probably one of the most sought-after players, but he's obviously signed that monster deal um, with Carlton. I think a lot of people would probably be picking him um, straight away. Would you have him throw, you think? Uh, yeah, he's around, yeah. around, he's that around mark? He's around that mark, somewhere between, yeah, three, four, five for me. I think, obviously, him and Mackay coming through the system together, like how often do teams go and like pluck key forwards mm. from elsewhere at, totally. tw- at 25 or 26? And the fact that these guys have um, ridden out the rebuild together is is why their chemistry is so good because so many other key forward pairings in the league get together when they're 25 and these guys have been doing it um, injuries aside since they were 19, 20. 
Absolutely. And, and number four, and people actually said this after his game against Port Adelaide, is he the best player in the comp? I've got Nick Dacos. Um, obviously, as I said before, you might be picking Bontempelli overall or those sort of guys over him right like for a season. But right now, he's definitely he, he a top five player in the game. through the first yeah. month of the season. He His stats that I looked today, which are... They really jump off the page. 34 and a half disposals. I actually didn't realise he was averaging that much. I thought it was like high 20s. Uh, at 85% efficiency by foot, which is insane. And, oh, he, yeah. and, he, and he kicks it a lot. Uh, four and a half inside 50s and 560 metres gained, mm-hmm. which is insane for a player of his age. I watched the game against Brisbane. He did a kick out in the last quarter. He uh, kicked one like a up the corridor, got a handball received, Played on, kicked it long to the wing to like my check, then they got an inside 50. Like teams can't be letting him do that. And he does it multiple times a game. And he is just, he's a, a marvel. Like, like his dad, he's got all the skill in the world, but he gets the ball almost 35 touches a game and he does stuff with it. He does, he's not an accumulator and just, you know, he goes lateral. He slices teams up and it's, it's amazing to watch. Very, very interested to see what Ross Lyon has planned for him this week. Very interested because he's not getting 30. What did he have last week? 41 or 39 or 38? He's not getting those numbers this week. No, no, you wouldn't think so. He kicked, uh, I think he kicked a goal um, or two goals as well. So he's and he hits the scoreboard. So, is Windhager available? Is he someone that you'd sit at half forward or would you do the would you do the Port Adelaide have another look at the like natural half forward running with him? Put put Lockie Jones on him. That that worked real well. Yeah, Um, I watched that pretty (laughs) intently. And um, I don't think I don't really think there's I think there's stone cold. Dead set tag one on one isn't as prominent as it used to be. I think yeah. the way Ross plays is like a team defense, so yeah. they're they're going to probably all um, work together to do it. But at the end of the day, it's it's pretty hard to stop him, isn't it? And what is he nineteen or twenty? Played twenty odd games, yeah. Yeah. twenty high twenties in games, unreal. Um, and this is my fifth. And before I get into my fifth, honorable mentions, I've got Tim Kelly, Petrarca, Dugowie, LDU, and Tom Green could have probably been in this discussion. Tom and Green, a, and again, this is my. My top five, so um, feel free to come at me, uh, listeners, as well. <laughs> Number five, I've got Jordan Dawson. Crow's skipper. Yeah. Um, I watched his game on the weekend, and he absolutely sliced apart um, Freo by foot. I think he had 26 touches. On the season, averages 24 disposals, 86% by foot, over 550 metres gained, seven score involvements. Um, for a bloke who doesn't necessarily rack up the, the high 30s, I just think his ability to hit targets, which is a premium. If you've got a leg like he does, yeah. um, he uses it to the best of his ability and teams often often suffer when they give him the time and space. So I think he, where Crows are there, two and two, um, they went down to obviously GWS and, and to Richmond. Um, they really should almost be 4-0 if they didn't have those, those lapses. But I think Crows just have something special, bro. And I don't think they're going to be a, a massive contender for the flag or anything this year, but I, I think... Jordan Dawson's a, a fair um, reason why they've actually got that potential to be um, uh, at least a sort of lower-end finals team this year, in my opinion. They 100%. appear to be sort of settling on what his role is as well. So was like a pure halfback the first couple of weeks. That showdown where whether or not he was best on ground, he probably wasn't. He was still really, really good, let's be honest. Um, it was up to about 60% midfield time, and it was pretty similar to that 50-50 sort of split against Freo. And that seems to be... Um, that seems to be where I think 
fits best for him because he probably had quite a say in, in helping Laird get off the chain a little bit, like another bigger body around around the contest. But then when he does go to halfback, and that's sort of the fear with Nick Dacos, and I want Collingwood to start shoving him in midfield because he's so damaging when he gets the ball in a little bit of space. So I think that mix feels about right at the mm. moment for Dawson as well. And, yeah, that rounds out my – oh, sorry – that rounds out the list. I rounds like it. List, yeah. I think, I've, from a personal point of view, love it. Feel like LDU probably could have been squeezed in somewhere. I think LDU is my five, but he but yep. he missed that game, so I can understand if he hurts if that hurts him in the criteria. It evolves, Robbo. It so, does. Yeah. So Dawson might not last. The and rolling top five. top five. And as you say, it's your it's your list, so we can't criticize it. Um, let's look at it from a ruck point of view now, uh, in terms of who's the best of the best. So if you're drafting up, let's say we've got two All Australian spots as is normal. Tim English is probably getting one of them through the first month of the season and projecting forward. Who is in line for that second spot at the moment? Are we talking Rowan Marshall? Can Sean Darcy work his way in there? Where does Brodie Grundy sit? Jacko, you got some thoughts? I think we were talking Toby Nankervis until this Cinder's Moses yeah. is going to have him out for He's a little while. Really he started well. the season really, really mm-hmm. well. And we'll, we might speak a little bit about Richmond later and, and where they sort of sit. But um, Toby Nankervis had started really nicely. Don't sleep on Brody Grundy. Like, hadn't played a lot of footy the last couple of years. That game up at Brisbane, going and expecting to be essentially number two ruck, um, thrown into the thick of it against Oscar McInerney, who probably sit somewhere in the top six or seven rucks in the competition um, and did really, really well. And then the Bailey Williams thing last week was, and we spoke about this with Sean Darcy, you just need to feast on the carcass a little bit, don't you? You need to come in and totally, yeah, um, and make that count. And he, and he did. And he did that <laughs> on the weekend. So don't sleep on Brody Grundy. We're going to get, uh, I mean, there was something floating around that Max Gorn potentially not this week, next week. Um, he's an older guy. He's done knees before. He's going to be another few weeks away. So we're going to get a, a good extended look at Brody Grundy. Probably not all Australian at the end of the year because he'll end up, uh, I mean, who was the last ruck to have split ruck duties and finished All-Australian? Probably Dean Cox. Co- Cox, Nick Cox and Nat Nui when they, they both, both made it the same year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can't see that happening with either of Gorn or Grundy. I think they probably both miss out. But as far as like, pure ruck craft goes, mm. um, don't sleep on Brody Grundy. I think Wits probably, if he pulls together a whole season, he started really well, obviously missed on the weekend. But yep. if he puts together you know, 17, 18 games of the quality he started in round one and two, He's in the discussion. I don't think he'll make it, but yep. I think he has to be considered as well. Are you a Rowan Marshall guy? I'm a Rowan Marshall. I do like the the mobile um, ruckman. Um, you know, Gorn's obviously been. He's not that. Uh, doesn't lug around. He's he's very mobile. Mm-hmm. Like remember that prelim final in 2021 at, at Optus where he's kicking yep. those goals from Unreal. 50. Yep. Rowan Marshall's got that ability, um, and I think English obviously going behind the ball. He can take marks and go forward, kick goals. So that those guys. Oh, Grundy in his peak as well was. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Well. And and Marshall's going to be helped by the spike as well. If St Kilda can they're not going to maintain a four and start, obviously, but if they can rush into finals, he's going to be obviously a big reason yep. for that and that's going to help his case all Australian wise no end. All right. Couple of Richmond injuries. So Nan Curvis we just sort of floated there. Tom Lynch is another. Do we sort of um, that they're, they're a little bit light in both of these departments now, right? You can you Are can we, make a case that's their two most important guys, yeah. just about. You can so make that case. Nan Curvis, you're probably looking at Soldo, who they tried to ship out the door a few months ago, and then I think it probably locks Samson Ryan into the side now for an extended stint. So mm-hmm. I think that's that's probably the two, and then um, Jack Rewalt rested on the weekend, which now looking at it's probably a good thing because he's 
going to have a really good run at it. And then someone like a Ben Miller might be thrown down there. You probably don't want to lose your Noah Bolter from your back line. So I think there's going to be a serious reshuffle at Richmond. And they're a team that I know I was probably a little bit 50-50 on them. Like They could win the flag. They could miss the finals for me still at the moment. Um, but I'm, I'm a little bit down on them with these injuries. I just wanted to sort of float that and see where we sit on them now because Nankervis is, you know, could be up to eight weeks. Lynch could almost be a season, a big guy trying to re- trying to rehab a foot injury like that. Yeah, it's it's a it's a great question there. Um, I think Nankervis, you look at him as a ruck and he's not the, the flashy ruckman, doesn't necessarily, you know, always put it down the midfielder's throats and has those um, terrific clearances like some uh, ruckmen are able to do. But yeah. he also is, I think, top three or four in tackles. I think of it okay. in, the, in the comp as well. So he actually can do a little bit more than just um, just tap the ball down. Um, oh, Richmond are a weird one for me. I, I had them fourth in my preseason ladder because um, I thought the additions of Hopper and Taranto were two players that actually they really needed. They needed to rejuvenate that midfield a little bit, can play Dusty forward more. Cochin is kind of, this is well, this is his last year, you'd, you'd assume. Um, and I've just been a little bit down on Hopper. Um, hasn't been as good as I thought he'd be. Yeah. Um, and there's been that commentary, I think, around Taranto. Someone in the media said he's the worst kick in the AFL. I can't remember who, mm, who said that. that. Um, but again, he's a you know in and under clearance player, so he's not always going to go you know, at high percentages by foot. But, yeah, Hopper's been not underwhelming, but he probably hasn't reached the heights of what I thought he has. Tranto's been been pretty good. Yeah. Um, but so, they so Hardwick came time. out a couple of weeks ago and I think said, admitted that they haven't used Hopper as well. They haven't looked for him as much as they no. could yep. to, to support. So that's going to take a, a bit of time to adjust to. Just looking at their next fortnight, they've got Sydney this week and then Melbourne after that. They've only got one win on the board. They could be one win through their first six games. Yep. It, they're highly likely to be one win through their first six games, which is Christ not God. a great grounding if you're going to challenge for the flag. So, yeah, they've got some serious questions to to try and figure out there. All right, moving on, and we'll keep it Port Adelaide. Um, as I said in uh, earlier in the show, since 2001, I've supported this team, and I've been through the ups and downs. There's been the 07 Premiership, get, uh, 07 Grand Final getting flogged, the 04 Premiership and winning. Um, been through heartbreak with a couple of prelims. Um, but ever since... That, that whole era where you had to cover up the, the empty tarps. seats tarps. with the tarps. It's probably the toughest <laughs> so part I've of put all So I've put on my notes. Um, <laughs> t- I'm going to talk about the curious case of Ken Hinckley. <laughs> um, he revived Port post Matthew Primus, which was a pretty dark day yeah, in, that was. in Port that Adelaide. Was, that was peak history. That was um, tarp, yeah. yeah. That right was, in the meaty know, part of the When tarp. Paul Stewart was, you know, kicking goals on the run and Paul sinking Stewart. the kangaroo, yep. uh, kangaroos. We're at, definitely uh, the only Amy podcast Stadium. that's mentioning Paul Stewart this entire year, <laughs> maybe decade. I've got more, mate, if you want Was that to. Angus Montfrey's <laughs> goal the only high point of that era? Uh, that was 2013. Okay. Hinkley was so that he was, was in uh, was no, Primus yeah. was okay. before that. So um, don't, don't fact check me on Port, mate, because I got you. This is his 10th season. Um, oh, sorry, two, four, six, eight. This is his 11th season. So yep. he started in 2013, Ken Hinckley. And since 2013, he's made three prelims, a semi-final, and an elimination final. He's gone 126-89 and 89 in that tenure, which is about a 70% win rate. Yep. Looking at those numbers, you'd be like, that is a great figure. Like that is that's a great win percentage for a club that notoriously 
like they haven't been that successful in the AFL. They've always been relatively competitive, but they they've only won you know one flag since 1997. Um, they were obviously one of those sort of expansion teams um, uh, back in the 90s um, when they were growing the game. But for Port Adelaide, I think Ken Hinckley for someone that did so well um, in certain periods when he came in and revived Port in 13 and 14. That was amazing for Port supporters because it was such a dark time prior to that. Um, and then in the 20, 2020 and 2021, the the prelim finals, like 2020 against Richmond, who were really, really good um, at that stage. They lost by 11 points, I think, in that prelim. And then we won't speak about the 2021 prelim, um, which was, you know, the red carpet was rolled out for a grand sure final was. burst. And yeah. they yep. cooked that. I didn't come out of my room for a few days post <laughs> that one. Um, and then really disappointing last year. And then going into this season... They pumped Brisbane round one. They looked a million bucks after half time. They weren't that good in the first half, but mm-hmm. looked really good in the in the second half against a premiership favourite. They get smoked by Collingwood and look like one of the worst teams in the AFL. 20, uh, round three, they were competitive for most of the game and then just ran out of legs in the last quarter. And then they have pulled out a miracle win against Sydney at Sydney, which isn't an easy win um, no. for any team. My question to you... Where's the line for Port this year? Is if they don't make a grand final, let's just say they they bow it in a semi final, is that enough for you to re-sign Ken uh, Ken Hinkley because his contract expires? What's the line for you, Robbo and Jacko? Where is it anything but a grand final and see you later? Yeah, it's a really interesting one, isn't it? I mean, f- finals is just a must. Let's get that out there first of all. If they don't win a final, it's it's getting harder and harder to make a case for keeping him. So I'd suggest it needs to be at least second week of the finals, either the second or third. If they make a prelim, I think you could probably argue that's enough progress. But then again, I'm looking at the look in your eye and, and it's not quite enough. Well, I mean... Well, we talk a lot about like contract year players here, right? And Ken Hinckley feels like he's been on his last chance for about f- four years, three years. Yeah. And I think that in itself is, is um, admirable. And he spoke on Saturday night about sort of embracing the pressure and sure a lot of that pressure comes because they've lost like big stretches of games so a lot of that 70% is sort of like lumped in the middle in those prelim years um, but I think the other factor in, in this line and I'm probably the same I'm probably sort of second week of the finals um, what's what's out there right because like Kaiko's been snapped up Ross has been snapped up I know Ross was one that sort of floated around um, like you, you're going to an untried coach and maybe that is we're probably going to an untried coach maybe that is what they need um, I can't know sort of Port Adelaide legends in the coaching rank sort of jump off the page off the top of my head um, so where like where do you go and I think that that might give him a little bit of extra leeway in that there's not like an obvious mm, yeah well what what's out there you don't know so that was that's just my spiel on on yeah. Kennedy it's a, it's a very mysterious um, situation for him because I, I don't know where they go from here because I actually think even if they make a second final are they just kind of going around in circles and doing the same Treading thing rinse water. and repeat but that's why it's so hard because he's been as you say he's been consistent in his inconsistency in terms of going up and down but that winning clip I mean he's 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 got the most wins of any coach to never have made a grand final so it's kind of a the double-edged sword where it, all you want from your coach and all you want from your club is to be in contention most years and that's what Port Adelaide have been. But then if you can't take that next step, 
is it better to cut and run or is it better to say, hey, we're yeah. going to get there eventually? Well, and that's something that Chris Scott spoke a lot about at the end of last year. Like For our fan base, we'd rather them say us in contention every year yep. for 10 years. And, and Port have almost, sort of almost done that, but not quite right. Like They've, they've stuck to a similar line and, uh, and done that sort of Geelong, like where like mini rebuilds and, and that sort of thing to try and you know go into trades to try and contend. They just haven't done it quite as well and it's a good point like do you do you tread water now do you bottom out they probably don't have a list to bottom out because they've got um rosie butters horn francis georgiades oh, yeah. aliyah they're, 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 too they're good, built to far too now. good to bottom yeah. out yeah um so yeah it's, it's an interesting position to be in the other factor like ken hinkley i feel like and let me know as a port fan but i feel like he's the sort of coach you'd get around Right, like he's super passionate about the club, um, goes into bat for his plays, saw how passionate he was on Saturday night and after showdowns in the past and that sort of thing. So uh, I feel like he's probably someone that if you were a died in the wool Port Adelaide fan, you'd probably gravitate towards him a little bit as a good club man. Final word to you, Jake. Is, is he, this time next year, is he still coaching Port Adelaide? I don't think so. Interesting. All right, let's get into some hardball bets. Hardball bets. Thanks to the Tab Touch app. Well, it is Hardball Bets brought to you by Tab Touch. Got the touch this AFL season? Better your bet with Tab Touch. Gamble responsibly. Call Gambler's Help on 1-800-858-858. Last week, we both got off the mark, Jacko. You're on behalf of Nick Rin. I just took the safe option and took the 215 or 220 for... Geelong and uh, and Melbourne to finish the round strongly. So I'm off the mark. You got off the mark in some serious style. What was yours paying? Uh, it was upwards of seven fifty. Upwards of seven fifty for those of you who got on. There was a bit of an it was an Essendon by thirty nine or less, and a couple other things there was thrown a in there total as well. Points in the North game under the roof, mm-hmm. which got up, and then can't remember for the oh, it was the Demons. Um, yeah. Demons at a, I think it was a 44.5 line, which yeah. I was pretty happy. Which that was never really out. in doubt in that second half. Um, what have you got for us on behalf of Nick Rin today? So they worked for me last week, so I'm going to uh, have a look at some lines again. Um, Brisbane by 29.5 or more. That's Essendon, I think they've got this week out. Mm-hmm. At, I think they're in the hills at Mount Barker. Uh, Geelong, 43.5 is the line against West Coast, but Adam Simpson talking about resting some of the youngsters, and some of the youngsters are pretty good. You feel like that line's um, going to nudge like up a little bit. I feel like that's going to be covered. They've got their tails up the cats. Uh, and Melbourne at a 23.5 point line. I think they cover that against the Dons. Okay, so bag it all up. What's it paying? 686. 680. So you're taking another decent size swing here. Worked yep. for you last week. Well, hey, I'm a fill-in, so no point that's mucking true. around while I'm here. You're the Braden Sire of the uh, podcast. Um, I'm not worrying about lines. I'm just taking five straight-up winners. I think Carlton will do Adelaide on Thursday night, even though that looks like a really tempting 50-50 proposition. Uh, I agree with you on Brisbane. Melbourne, obviously. Geelong, obviously. And I think Collingwood will snap the uh, the Saints' winning run to start the season. That's paying 470 Is that game of the round? Collingwood St Kilda? Yeah. Uh, I think it might be the Sunday twilight. It's Yeah, so Carlton, Carlton Adelaide to open yep. and then Collingwood St Kilda to close. Bookends. Two real nice bookends for gather round. Um, Jake, what do you reckon, mate? Were you on to a couple of winners there? Or yeah, I, th- I think so. I, I very much like the Melbourne line. Um, I think Essendon's very much inflated just with who they've yep. they've played, um, and I think Melbourne are, are far too good not to to cover that line absolutely. But um, tell you what, Bulldogs at where they're priced against Port, which is what, um, which is two dollars fifty eight. Mm. Um, I think uh, a little investment in that probably wouldn't go astray. 
Don't Spoken mind. like a true Port Adelaide fan. <laughs> Who knows? I'm trying to stay away from Port, but that just jumped out of the page to me. <laughs> knows the absolute yo-yo value. Happiness as, insurance. As always, gamble responsibly, and thanks to our friends at Tab Touch. Gentlemen, we've got to get out of here. Jacko, thanks very much for your efforts thanks as always. Right. Jake, good to have you back after the four-year hiatus. Did you enjoy it? I, oh, mate, loved it. So anytime, mate, just come down uh, to my end of, the, <laughs> of Channel 7 and, and knock on my door. We'll give you a shout. Thanks, guys. And thanks also to our friends at Mazda and the Mazda BT50 you do you. Enjoy your weekend of footy. We'll chat to you next time.